podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Slightly colder than last time that we spoke, Dave. Yes, you are back in the UK. You have come back from your quick sojourn, while Mr. Drinkle continues to live it up in Mexico until tomorrow week, which, you know, I mean, I don't get two weeks off during the crunch point of the season. You don't get two weeks off during the crunch point of the season. But I think we now know where we sit in the pecking order, Carl, and that is below Guy Drinkle. I, I think it's a, an astounding turn of events considering the amount of blame he has attempted to lay at both of our feet over the last few years that, you know, as soon as the, the trophies are not on the table, that's it, he's done a runner. Yeah, that's it. When, when Liverpool are struggling, when, when a hero is needed... Guy Drinkle is not to be found. <laughs> the anti-Diogo Jota, you could say. Yeah. Or the yes, Diogo Jota of uh, early 23 rather than now mid-23. Yeah, the Diogo Jota of mid-April 2022 <laughs> to mid-April 2023, uh, young Guy Drinkle. No, I hope he, hope he is enjoying his holiday and I hope he's... Very sunburned. Right, we've got a bunch of different things we're going to hit on on this one. We're going to do West Ham tomorrow ahead of that game on Wednesday night. So today we thought we'd do a bit of a run around the houses and we've got four or five different topics to hit on. So, Carol, the first thing we were going to talk about, Julian Nagelsmann has taken his name out of the running to be the next Chelsea manager. Luis Enrique has also kind of walked away from that. I think he was a bit put out that he wasn't just given the job because he was ready to go now and would have taken it till the end of the season and then beyond. And it seems like Maurizio Pochettino is the clear front runner now and maybe the only real candidate for the job at this point in time. And I don't really know what to think of this because I think he's a good manager. I don't know that he's a great manager. Um, yeah, I think that's probably um, a fair way to put it because he hasn't really achieved greatness, you know, in, in terms of what managers have over the last few years. He's got one Champions League final. He's obviously got some silverware now because he took over PSG and that's kind of written into the contract. But I don't think he's achieved too much. I think that's the other way to put it. But are Chelsea really in a spot right now where they can achieve things, where they can be sustained in terms of trophies and uh, being in the hunt for titles. And I'm not talking about in the Abramovich era way, where they would be terrible, spend a load of money, have an immediate 11, 
and suddenly win again. That's fine. That was their approach for a long time, and it worked pretty well for them on and off. But I think that if they really are serious about trying to make it a little bit more uh, sustainable and a little bit more of um, a longer-term consistency kind of plan, then first of all, they're not going to do that in two steps. They're not going to no. do it in the next manager. We spoke about that when they appointed Graham Potter. There was more of a chance the Potter would be the one to prepare things for someone else who would then go in and do it. As it is, he didn't do it quickly enough for their liking. So if they go better than him, but still someone who is capable of building stuff, I think that's maybe a decent way for them to go. And we, we know Pochettino can do that, of course. Um, they still need far, far more in place than just a new head coach because there's a lot to sort out at that club systemically uh, in terms of the, the processes that they've had. Definitely in terms of the playing squad, which needs a lot of attention still in, in, in both in and outcomings. But I think he would be a good fit, to be honest. I think if there's an attempt there to make Chelsea more, let's say, have a bit more authority in the dressing room, I think Pochettino's not the worst way to go. I think if mm. they are looking for someone to try and put a team together uh, and be less of a bunch of individuals with no clear identity, again, he's, he's pretty adept at doing that. So I don't think that there are loads of downsides there unless they are still expecting to immediately challenge for the title and so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean, look, the squad, when you look at the squad and you look at the players and the talent that's there, and we, we can add in Christopher and Kunku because I think everybody knows that deal is happening for the summer. No, 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 no. Yes, 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 it is happening. Just accept it and move on. We're not signing him. If we were going to sign him, it would have been last summer and somebody made a decision to spend all that money on somebody else. So just accept it and let's not get ourselves caught up in the fact that we're not going to be signing him. Let's have a look at the players that they have. So I think everybody would agree they need a new goalkeeper. Kepa, if he is the answer, you're asking the wrong question. And the fall-off of Eduard Mendy has been quite special. So they need a new goalkeeper. At right back, they've got Reese James and they've got um, Malo Gusto coming in from Lyon. That's an incredibly strong situation to be in. Left back, Chilwell and Kukurea, and that's really good. Now, I know Kukurea's had a bad season, but he's a good player, and we, we know he's a good player. They're going to play, if it's Poch, Poch likes to play a 4 2 3 1. Now, he will sometimes play a back three, but he does like a 4-2-3-1. So let's work with that for a second. So full-backs, they don't need to do anything for a long time. Right side centre-back, I think you've got an outstanding young defender there in Fafana. I think Chalaba is a very good young defender as well. Left side centre-back, they've got Benoit Badiashile. To come back off loan, they've got Levi Colwell, if they can keep him. And then you've still got Koulibaly and Silva. So you don't need to do anything at centre-back. You're absolutely set there for years to come. In midfield, Enzo's going to be one of the starters. They've also got Kovacic, they've got Kante, they've got Gallagher, who might leave. But I think they need to add one. I think they, they need to add a dynamic ball winner, a younger version of N'Golo Kante, someone that can actually stay fit, someone like a Florentino Louise or Emmanuel Ugart, someone in that kind of range. The three behind the striker, let's just say Nkunku and Noni Mudeki as the right-sided options. You've got 
Sterling and uh, Mudrick as the left-sided options. You've got, if he stays, Mason Mount and Kai Havertz as your 10s. And then in attack, you've got Datro Fafana and you've got... Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. I can't think of the guy's name. Um, Armando Brogan. <laughs> well, they've got him as well. But, like, Lukaku, you'd imagine, leaves. Zayic probably leaves. Pulisic probably leaves. Like, I haven't named Pulisic Loftus-Cheek. Um, didn't name Carney Chukwemeka, but he'll have a part to play in the long-term future of the midfield. I think... Kaiseida, who they brought in from Inter, will have a long-term part. Andre Santos will have a long-term part. So, like, I look at that squad and I, I look at the young players they've got, including people like Bashir Humphreys. They, I think they only need three players. A goalkeeper, a ball winner, and a, and a goal scorer. Now, they are difficult positions to fill because there's not a lot of great goalkeepers around. But they do have in Gabriel Slanina someone that they believe will be a great goalkeeper. So you're really only looking for someone to bridge a gap for two to three years. The nine will be tough. But again, I don't think it has to be a, a case where they go and get Victor Osman. I think if you've got the likes of Mount and Kai and Nkunku and Mudrik and Sterling, if you can just find someone who knows how to put the round thing in the big rectangle thing with the net on it, I think you can patch that together. And with, with the likes of Datro Fafana and Brogia being such big talents and developing, if you could just get a reliable 18 to 22 goal a season striker, someone like even, um, what's the, the, the Canadian kid? David? Jonathan David. Jonathan David. You get someone like him. I think he could fill that gap for you. I think you could go with Jonathan David, Manuel Ugart, and let's just say, for argument's sake, David Rea. And they're the three you bring in. That's going to cost you less than $150 million for the three of them. I think you could comfortably raise that through some of the sales that you can make that aren't going to affect that core group. You could sell Koulibaly, as an example, and maybe get $25 million. Maybe you get 15 for Zayic and 25 for Pulisic and so on and so forth. And just trim off a load of the fat on that squad. I don't think they're all that far away. I think there's a, an awful lot of really good players at the club and under contract to the club. I think under the right manager. Now, not next season. I don't think they're going to be challenging for the league next season. But I do think with a good manager in place and... Pointed recruitment, not scattergun nonsense like we've seen so far, but pointed recruitment. 
on the three areas of need, I do think it's a fairly straightforward path for them back into the top four, or at least challenging for it. And then with another season of all of those players together and development, the natural ability of the likes of Fafana and Colwell and Enzo and Mudrick and Nkunku is going to elevate as they as they age. And like I don't know that you'd need to do a whole lot more for a couple of years. You could build that, run with it, and under a proper manager, like like Pochettino, who does have experience building good teams, like he did at Spurs, they could just get better year on year on year. And maybe you're only adding one piece per summer then after that. Like I, I don't think their path is as muddied as it seems, but I do think they have to nail this managerial appointment. Just to you know, go on a tangent like we like to, just uh, through something that you've said there. Very quick answer, but maybe a difficult question. If Chelsea decided, let's say for 45 million, something like that, that they wanted Diogo Jota for their number nine, someone who could play a lot but didn't have to play every game, mm. could play centre-forward, but would also fit if they wanted to play, let's say, Kai as a false nine in one game, tactically or whatever. Would you let him go to them? Yes. Would you, uh, from but, a Liverpool perspective, let him go? Yes, Yeah. I would. But I'd be looking to make, make it part of a, of a deal where you do something for me and I'll do something for you. We would need to be getting more out of that than just a cash sum. Hmm. It would need to be a case of now not a swap deal because they don't really exist, but you know we're selling you a player for one amount and you're buying and, and then we're buying someone from you for the same or similar amount. So if they wanted Jota, my list would start with Levi Colwell, who yeah they might want to keep him, but they're not necessarily going to be able to keep him because it's a lot of it's on him. He might not be happy to go back there if he's not going to be an automatic starter. Having proven he's more than good enough in the Premier League, he might want to go somewhere else and start. And with two years left in his deal, they're not in the strongest position with him. So that would be my first conversation with them. You want Jota? That's great. We want Levi Colwell. Can we make a deal where, you know, the the valuations are probably relatively close, given Colwell's nationality, age and promise? Can we make that kind of deal? If if not, from them, I think there'd be a little bit of a tax on it. If they're not willing to give us something that's going to be really beneficial to us, I, I do think you'd probably want a little bit more than that. But again, I'm not ruling it out. I, I know he's a good player and he's done he's done well for us since we joined. But if we could get 50 million for Diogo Jota, given how much we need to do, and that, that's that's the biggest factor here, is how much we need to do. I think we're further away from a title-winning squad than them. I think we both need three to four starters, but we need a lot of squad players, and they have their squad built. The bigger thing for them is finding the manager. So, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be against selling Jota to them if they came in with a good offer for him. Fair enough. Um. How do you see it with them? Do, do you think they're a million miles away? Do you think they need another big pile of recruitment? Or, or do you agree with me that if they just stay the course of what they've got and add a couple of key pieces, like they're not all that far. I don't think they're all that far away from having a really, really 
promising first team and and depth for days um in terms of having a really strong squad i agree like not for a title challenging one though i've become more and more convinced over the last however many years you want to put it if you want to win the league actually win the league first of all you've got to have an elite level goalkeeper so i do think that if they want to target a title you're not looking at a david raya or anyone even remotely close to that i think that they would have to go big there and like you say there are not innumerable amounts of goalkeepers who are of that level anymore i don't think that it's a <clears throat> right now an absolutely golden age of the number of goalkeepers you could pick who are of that level but more importantly would be obviously that they are the right type of goalkeeper so if they want to be in you know, high line and play out and all the rest of it that's a very different kind of elite goalkeeper too if you want to i don't know sometimes pochettino's teams early on especially with very very counter-attacking deep-sitting goalkeepers deep-sitting defensive line so you want much more of a very very good reflexes shot stopping six yard box aerial domination kind of goalkeeper so that would be the first thing i would say they would have to upgrade on quite a bit um can, can i just ask you hmm. in the last from say the last chelsea title where they had courtois hmm. taking that out and everything before that how many elite goalkeepers have won the league so i think there's only one well, I, I, like I don't think Edison's any anywhere close to an elite level goalkeeper. Personally, I think he's elite in terms of what City need him to be. I think that that's not really up for debate, to be honest. I think he does the exact role: uh, shot stopping, decision making at times when he is faced with you know, um, let's say crowded penalty boxes and that kind of thing. In particular, I 100% agree with you. There are there are better goalkeepers than him around, no question. But for what City need him to do. I think he is absolutely up there with anybody else that they could get to do a similar job. That role. Yeah. Okay. That's that's fair. Yeah, no, I do think that's fair. Um I do I do think Chelsea have a belief that Slanina is 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 that caliber of goalkeeper in the making. Now, obviously it's very hard to judge. He's played for Chicago Fire for, you know, forty odd games and He's got one cap for the US that didn't go well, but he is only 18, but he is a giant human being and there was a lot of other clubs interested. So, you know, like I say, Rhea, the only reason I'd look at Rhea or someone of his ilk is as a stopgap because I wouldn't be in favour of chucking an 18 or 19-year-old oh, yeah. goalkeeper in because look yeah, at yeah. Melier and what's done to him. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm just saying if there, if the intent there is to be able to win the title in that period, you're not going to do it with that level of goalkeeper. But if you're looking yeah. at like a top four rebuild for a title challenge in three seasons or something like that, fair enough. Yes, you could you could definitely get in with a substandard goalkeeper. Liverpool have been in Champions League before with a a goalkeeper in the yeah. bottom half of quality, I would say, of the Premier League. So substandard yes. was a good day for Mignolet and Carrius. I mean, look, I remember having a lot of arguments with Liverpool fans, with Arsenal fans over the years where they're saying, like, oh, we've, we've definitely got a top 10 goalkeeper in the league. And like, get quite tired of pointing out that if you've got a top 10 keeper, literally half of the league is better than your goalkeeper. That's, that's mm. not a, a good thing in the Premier League terms. But if you're trying to get top four, you can do that. As long as your defence and your organisation, everything is really good, then, yeah, a, a, a less than ideal goalkeeper or a less than ideal centre forward or whatever, yes, of course you can absorb by making the rest of the team perfectly fine without it. Just look at 
any of the teams you get in the top four every single year. I don't think anyone would look at what Man United have done at number nine this season and say, that's ideal. We want to swap around every three matches and have to have our mm. left winger as the top scorer and have Wout in on loan and say that Anthony Martial is our starting forward, but only actually starts five games because of injuries. They've absorbed that. The rest of the team has been structured really well and they've done enough to make sure that they are going to be in the top four. So, of course, you can get in the Champions League spots without spending hundreds and hundreds of millions. I think for Pochettino or whoever is that comes in to get top four, the bigger job than recruitment here is the team building aspect. I think yeah. Potter did a really poor job with this. And yes, did. agreed. Um, so, I mean, you mentioned like the midfield, for example, is a really good area to look at because they're probably going to be a lot more structured double pivot if Pochettino comes in, unless mm. in this time off he's decided he's going to formulate a new way of working or whatever it is. That's entirely possible, of course. But basically up until now, he's been a double pivot uh, manager. So yeah, Enzo has got to be one and you've got to find who is with him. But then you've got to make the decision over, is Kante still got a real long-term future? And if not, you probably need to sell him this summer. Zakaria, they have to decide on. Conor Gallagher and Ruben Loftus-Cheek are the two, I say, sell and get money for or use them. Like if you really believe in them, use them. Now is the season. Now is the summer where it's got to happen. Loftus Cheek's twenty-seven. You know. Yeah. That's. I don't think people realise that. I don't <laughs> think people have any idea how what age he is at this point. It's absurd. Like Kanye Chukwuemeka is, is different. He's still a teenager. This is only his first season. I think there's a lot of talent to work with. If he's your fifth, let's say, that's that's mm. really really good. Mm. But then you have to decide, like I say, on the starter alongside Kante, whether Kovacic gets a contract extension and then probably sign someone else because you know, otherwise you're going to be a little bit light there. Or you decide, yeah, I really love Conor Gallagher, let's say, and you make him your third midfielder, Kovacic alternative, whatever it is, you know? Um, so I think that the team building aspect and the, the really narrowing it down to a, a genuine squad group rather than what is at the minute probably about 32 players who are in and around that first team environment is is the bigger job there because you cannot get, I don't think, the top four is now going to be very, very easy to do at all. Like it's really, really competitive even this season because we're rubbish. But next season, if you look at, let's say Brighton, I don't know, get some sort of Europa Conference League football or whatever it is that they do this season, I, see, I still think that they will be top eight side next season, right? Yeah. Bournemouth may or may not. If they don't get Europe, they have a bigger chance because they have a smaller squad. Um, Chelsea should be better. Liverpool should be a lot better. Tottenham, presumably at some point will stop being incredibly stupid and rubbish and actually do something where they'll be top six at least. The top three at the moment should still be in the running and Newcastle will spend even more again. So you're going to have wow. at least seven sides who genuinely think we should or must be top four. That's really, really difficult to you know, balance out as the season goes along, especially if a few early results don't go your way or Someone spends really, really outrageously big or anything like that. So I do think that top four is is now going to be a lot more difficult to attain consistently than it has been previously, unless you are absolutely already set like Liverpool were for three years or City have been whenever they want to be. Yeah, that's fair. Let's move on then and talk quickly about Pochettino's former club, Tottenham Hotspur, who went to Newcastle on Sunday, found themselves 5-0 down within 21 minutes, their captain and goalkeeper refused to come out for the second half and they ended up losing 6-1. Uh, they're now allegedly in the process of discussions about sacking their caretaker manager, which is just a bizarre situation. 
and um, they don't really seem to have a definite plan on what they want. Names mentioned, Nagelsmann. I think that job makes more sense for him than the Chelsea one because there's less pressure. Uh, Ruben Amram, who I think is an outstanding young coach and would make a lot of sense. Luis Enrique has been mentioned. Again, with Spurs, though, I, I look at their team and I look at what they've got in their squad. And I don't think it's as as terminal as some have made out. They obviously need a new goalkeeper. That's without question. Romero remains excellent and as a the right-sided one and a three is perfect. But they've got to upgrade on Eric Dyer and they've got to get a left-side centre-back in. Pedro Poro is not a full-back. He is a wing-back. As are all of the other full-backs you own, bar Emerson Royale. So whoever you get has got to be a back three manager. But if you've got Poro, potentially Royale if he stays, and Jed Spence as the right-wing-back options, and then Destiny Adoji to arrive from Udinese, plus Ryan Sessegnon, plus Perisic as the left-wing-back options. You've got a collective of hard-working grafters in midfield in Heusberg, Basuma, Bentoncourt, Skip, uh, Saar. That's a, that's a strong group. And a lot obviously depends on what happens with Harry Kane. If he stays... You've got Kane, you've got Son, you've got Kulisevsky, you've got Richarlison, you've got a decision to make on Dan Juma. But, like, again, not not to build a title winner. I'm not talking about building a title winner, but to build a team that can play a good brand of football and be in the mix for top four, and, and a real mix for top four, not where you're in it until, like, February and you fall apart. I'm talking about right in it up to the end and potentially sneak their way in. I think for Spurs, you're looking at three players, but they need to be three really good gets. It, it has to be a top-end goalkeeper, your long-term goalkeeper. It has to be a high-quality left-side centre-back who can do all the different things you need them to do in a back three. And I think they need to find that middle centre-back as well. And depending on who the manager is, that will vary from what that role is required to do. But they're going to be expensive. Now, they've got some okay depth in the likes of Ben White and people like that that can fill in, not Ben White, Ben Davies, who can fill in behind them, but they need two starting centre-backs and a goalkeeper to go with a new manager. And the issue with Spurs has always been, are they willing to spend? And are they willing to spend on the right players? Because multiple times they've gone after the right player and backed out because they weren't willing to go an extra £10 million and they've bought shite instead, and it's ended up being a mess. So those are the type of things. Remember as well, the director of football is gone because uh, he's now banned from football. Um, shout out to whoever the commentator was on that Newcastle Spurs game who came out with the line, they look like a team without a director of football, which is not something I've ever heard anyone say before. Um, but... I don't think they're as terminally bad as they might seem. I mean, it's fair enough. I think it's very, very difficult to get a manager in place, a head coach in place, who is going to play that exact type of wing backery, to be perfectly honest. I think that there are not too many absolutely great ones who are doing it in that style at the moment. But for Spurs this season and last season, and for the seasons beyond that, my biggest issue with them was always, oh, Bit of music there, there you go. Um, was always 
terrible, terrible build-up play, especially through midfield this season. Like It doesn't help them that obviously Son has had a dismal campaign. Maybe that is something that you know needs to be considered or looked at or why that is. Maybe he just comes back next year and is excellent again. But through midfield to a very, very disjointed forward line this year, they've been so, so poor. So Spurs, a mentality reset has been needed for about two decades. That's nothing new. That's still the case in the in the team, in the squad. I think Ben Tancor is your, your building block from midfield. And then what you want to do in terms of build-up play, you decide from him and use him where you need to. And then whoever's beside him is the other thing. So if you want to use Bentacur as the, you know, a bit of a rampaging ball when he gets to go high up because he's decent in the final third as well, maybe you want Basuma holding behind. Mm. Him. That's the two want... I'd look at. They're, yeah. they're the two I think are best suited. Yeah. And if you look at, say, then Poro and, and, and Udoji as wingbacks, that is a Ruben Amram midfield four. Yeah. That fits, a glo- fits like a glove into what he wants to do. I, I Honestly, I still think that the... Not the issue, because you can't say Kane is a problem, but you have to play a certain way and attack to get the best out of Kane. Mm. And, you know, it, it's never going to be a, a ridiculously high-pressing team. It's never going to be a team which is you know, doing too much stuff without allowing him to just sort of amble about for quite a bit and then not relying on speed through the middle, that kind of bit. So it is a little bit of a... It does answer, ask the question, should they, if they can get 80, 85 million for him this summer... Should they take it? He's 29. He'll have a year left in his contract. He has had quite a lot of ankle problems over the years. And yes, he is an absolute machine in front of goal. But like you say, he does limit what you what you can do and how you can play. I think. Would you take it if someone offered it? Yeah, I would do. Yeah, I absolutely would do. I think Spurs need to get away from trying to fit title-winning side around Kane. And just get yeah. to the reality of the situation that you are probably not. I know the fifth at the minute this season, but genuinely across the the spectrum of football all season long, Spurs are not a top six side this year. No, like, no, that's really. the thing. They were being kept in the top four by the fact that they were just grinding out results here and there. Um, but it's it's yeah, it's 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 a tough road for them. I, I would I would sell Kane personally. Now, I would, tr- I would try and sell it outside of the Premier League if I could. I would try and find a move to, like, Bayern if he'd be open to that because I'd rather not have him come back to the new stadium and bang in a hat-trick every season. I, I would also allow Kane to leave if I was first, to be honest. You know, if he, Yes, if he I think he's earned it. Yeah, absolutely, more than earned it. Yeah, yeah I think he has earned, earned, earned that right. And... Like I said, I think Bayern for him is the best move as well because he'll score 50 a season. He'll win a league title every single year. So he, he'll get the trophies that he craves as well and he'll still score a ridiculous amount. Um, I do think it's probably the smart decision at this point to allow Harry Kane to leave and use that money to to find a replacement for him, which obviously will be difficult, but... Maybe you can be a bit more flexible in the type of replacement you're looking for. And potentially then you can alter the style of play to suit whatever it is your new manager will want to suit. Right, let's move away then from non-Liverpool matters on to Liverpool matters. Do you want to start at the back or do you want to start in midfield? At the back. We always build from the back new teams. Come on. Well, I would agree and you would agree, but Jürgen doesn't always agree. So... um, 
Right. Hello. I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. The, 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 our defensive structure is changing as Trent's role changes on the right, Andy Robertson's role changes on the left, and Andy Robertson's role is changing into a more defensive role. Gone is the day of him rampaging up and down the left wing and being that outlet for it, for, for us. And coming soon is a more controlled central defensive role in possession that will require him to be more patient, more cautious with the ball, a little bit more inventive in some of his passing, and I think also better in terms of ball carrying. And the thing with Andy Robertson is he's 5'9". He's not a centre-back. I think this role will suit somebody who is more naturally a centre-back but can play as a fullback out of possession. And there's, I think, a lot of options out there that could fill this role very well. They're not necessarily saying, I, I would replace Robbo for next season and move Costas on and have Robbo as a backup who can you know, start a, a lot of games, depending on, there'll be some games where we don't do this new box midfield shape. Um, but I would suggest that this is the summer to, to look to replace Andy Robertson. Okay, well, I've come up with a list of names, judging by what Robertson's had to be doing in the last couple of matches while we've been doing this. And so what we're going to do is throw them at you and you get to either bash them out of the park first time or discuss why not or discuss why you would potentially. Now, I've got a bit of a mix of players who could be backups to, to Robertson for a year and then maybe get better or just backups full time and maybe one or two who you could look at and say they could come in and start straight away. I'll let you decide what you think of each one. Right. Um, but I think we'll just start with the easiest one of all to, to pick out um, because people will be very, very familiar with him and it's a good, let's say, comparison block for all the rest which come afterwards. So, just cook Vardial. Yeah, I mean, if, if money is no object, he's the one that you go for. And he comes in, I think he starts from day one. I, I think he is absolutely perfect for that role. He's a great passer. He's excellent carrying the ball. He's very strong defensively. He's played more than enough left back to be comfortable in that role. His preferred position is as a centre back. But as a centre back, he is a little short for a Jurgen centre back. He's not quite as aerially dominant as a Jurgen centre back. But if it's more of a back three in possession, 
I don't think it's an issue. And as a left back, he is quite dominant from an aerial point of view. So yeah, Gvardiol to me, if we had, if we had you know real money behind us where we could just go and buy what we need, he would top the list for me. Right. So back to reality. Um, I've broken this down into a couple of sections. Uh, so some of them you've just actually mentioned one of the really important traits. I think that's aerial ability. If we're going to be relying on him to be sort of covering back post, lots more on crosses, um, defensive work in terms of balls over the top, that sort of thing. We've still got to have a bit of speed there, but aerial ability is definitely going to be up there as well. We've already seen, was it Jesus scored the goal, which came in off the far post. Virgil was absolutely yeah. there. Robertson hadn't reacted. Yeah, so that sort of thing is something which has definitely got to be looked at. So there's that area. There's still the type where Robertson has to get forward. So the ball carrying, the overlapping crossing and, and general build-up passing is still an important trait as well, which has to be uh, taken into consideration. So we've got a bit of a balance in some. We've got some which are a bit more defensively inclined in terms of uh, challenges and aerial ability. And then we've got the ball carriers as well. So one interesting name which cropped up, I've not seen him play since he left, but maybe you have. And if not, we'll just put him in the bin. I will file him under. Interesting. Let's keep a lookout. Yasser Um I, I, I didn't really like him all that much when we had him. He always just looked like a winger playing as a fullback for me. But he was. Now, I know he's recently come into the French under-21 squad in the last year or so. Um, I, I haven't watched Troy's play for a single minute, so I have no idea how he's been. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that he necessarily had the best attitude when we had either, so I'd probably be inclined to put him in the bin. Fair enough. There he can stay. We, I, I promise to the listeners, we are going to work our way up this list. Don't worry. It gets more interesting. Um, one that we've talked about before, and you've spoken about the need to be able to be versatile in that role, someone who can play in a three, someone who can actually be a fullback, and so on and so forth. We've seen this guy all the way across the defensive line. Has had injury issues will impact on price but if they go down might also so that's Leicester's James Justin I love James Justin I think he is an outstanding player and I I would have him in tomorrow but I do prefer him as a right back now the obviously the obvious thing is it's not just a couple of injuries these are major injuries he tore his ACL he came back he was back for a handful of games and he tore his Achilles. That's devastating. And we don't know what kind of effect that will have on his pace and his burst. I, I definitely would have taken him before the injuries. I wanted us to sign him from Luton. I said on a on a, a transfer committee pod that he was the right back we should be bringing in to sign um, as a backup to Trent. I think he proved when he went to Leicester that it was the right call, that you know we should have gotten him. But the injuries, unfortunately, would just make me say no at this point. Um, I think he's really good, but no. Like I say, I prefer him as a right back, but the injuries would rule him out for me regardless. Um, One from overseas. This would be a more expensive addition, and he's not left-footed, which would be not a red flag, but something to consider definitely in terms of the overlapping. But defensively, very, very strong, really, really quick across the ground. Good technical um, capabilities, decent in the air as well. 
and plays left side and has played left back before. That's Fikayo Tamori. I really like Tamori. I really do. But I don't know how comfortable he would be in that role. You know, slotting out into the left back channel. And, and there will be times where he's required to be a left back in build up as well. Like it's not just going to be this smooth thing where every time we have the ball, you just slot in. There's going to be times where he's required to to overlap every so often. And I think he would struggle. I think he's a really good defender. Um, he's someone I would have liked at Liverpool, but again, for Jürgen, he's probably too short to be a centre-back. But for this role, I, I would probably say no. If it was the other way round, I think he'd be more comfortable. I know he has played some games on the left, but I do think if it was the other way around and we were looking for a, a, a right back to tuck in and become the right side of a back three, I, I think he would definitely be one I'd consider. But in this left-sided one, no, not for me. Right, we've got four, one, two, three, yeah, four who are currently playing in the Premier League and then one more overseas one to finish with. Um, most of these, apart from well, three of these next four who are in the Premier League, you would normally term as left-sided players who have also played centre-back, be it in a, a back four or a back three for some of them. Um, okay. The first one <clears throat> comes up because of obviously ball-carrying traits and uh, the fact he can actually deliver a ball. He's had a horrible, horrible season and he had a massive price tag which would obviously need to be slashed. But if they were offloading for you know a quick, what we've spoken about, trying to fix the squad and get some money in and that, Marco Gorega. I hate Mark Kukurea as a left-sided centre-back. I think it is one of the most obnoxious things any coach has done in the last few years is trying to turn him into a left-sided centre-back. I, I think it's an abomination. When he was at Hitafe, watching him bomb forward down that left and deliver pinpoint accurate crosses was one of the great joys I had watching that team. I absolutely hate him as a centre-back. He's too small. Yeah, that was as a left midfielder in a four-four-two at Davi as well. Yeah, it w- yeah. To be fair, yeah. Like I, I, that, I think he's a, I think he's naturally a wing back rather than even a full back yeah. because I think all of his best traits are going forward, and I think it is obnoxious that Potter tried to turn him into a centre back. The guy's five foot eight and brilliant going forward, and now you look at him going forward and he's completely neutered. He's hesitant. He doesn't make the right decision. The quality of the delivery is not nearly as good as it used to be. And that's all because Potter thought he was cleverer than everybody fucking else. Well, how clever are you now? You got sacked after seven months. Okay, moving on. Um, I was surprised this guy came up. And I think, to be honest, it is by volume more than ability at these things. Because although he is decent in terms of defensive work, he was actually really high in some of the numbers and is not really, really good as a defender. Another one we've spoken about recently, uh, Pascal Strick from Leeds. Yeah, I don't mind Pascal Strick at all. And I do prefer him in that that left-back kind of role than even as a centre-back. I think he's decent on the ball. I think he's comfortable carrying the ball. He's got a big frame. He's 6'3". He's got some aggression that I like. I wouldn't be against Pascal Struig. Now, again, I think 
I think he's one you bring in and, and you're going to have to mould and develop into that role. Yeah. Um, I think there would be certainly temper tantrums among certain people in our fan base who, if we were to sign him and he was to come in straight away, and he wouldn't be given uh, enough rope. But we remember when we signed Andy Robertson, it was six months before he got into the team. Yeah. So if Streak were to come in with a, with the same type of game plan, uh, I wouldn't be against it. I, I do like Pascal Streak. There's errors in his game that he needs to work out, but I mean he's been at Leeds. None of them can defend. No. That's kind of built into the uh, the process of learning at Leeds, isn't it? So, <clears throat> but one on ones defensively, he's very very good. Mm. And aerials actually, like I say, scores scores pretty highly on those as well. So I, I think that kind of player, even if not that player, is where I would be looking rather That's than... That's the model I'm looking at as well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so along the same lines um, there, but these two are more the other way around. They're left-backs who have played left in a three as well. So one, I... Which one should I do first? Let's do the wing-back one first. The wing-back who was really, really good as a wing-back and has been made more defensive, more more a sub, basically. It's Ryan Aitnuri. I love him. Yeah, I love Aitnuri. I think he's I think he's tremendous. Um, he's really good going forward. His ball carrying is excellent. But, like, we've seen him play against us as a left-back and completely shut Mo Salah out of a game on more than one occasion. Right, so Ryan Abnuri, when he was playing in France, was one of the best defenders around. Left-back defenders. He was a fantastic, because he's so fast, he's good, strong, he likes to get the shoulder in. He was one of the best one-on-one defenders, and that I don't think has changed at all. Where he does get, obviously... Let's say left left aside is if like the runner's in field from him, he tends to hold his ground out wide, so he might not track the runner inside all the time. So as a young defender, sure that can happen. He's still only 21 years of age, but I think he's got a lot a lot to work with. I just wonder whether, as the left sided defender, maybe you're not going to see as much of the obviously powerful running, crossing, dribbling that kind of thing. He's also only 21, and if I'm not mistaken. <clears throat> Will he classify as a homegrown player? Because this is his third season in the Premier League. So I, I think he might actually classify as a homegrown player. I could be wrong on it, but I, I think he fall he will fall under the homegrown category as well. And he's been in and out of the team at Wolves. I really, really, really would love Lopetegui to just let me know why on earth Hugo Bueno is starting over him? Because there's nothing Hugo Bueno is better at than Ryan Itnuri. Nothing. No, I don't know. The only thing I'd say regards homegrown, he was on loan for a season. I'm not. I'm never really sure about the. Oh yeah, he was. His first season was on loan. Yeah, I don't know how much that counts or whatever. So no, he could be. He could not be. Well, we'll wait and see for next season. I guess. But, but what I will say is. Well, you know, that was the other way around, because when Arsenal bought Saliba, they sent him on loan for two years, and yet he'll still class as homegrown. So, I don't know, it's quite confusing. But Aiden Uri, I would definitely take. And right. I think you could get him at a good price. Um, I don't like this guy as much, but a lot of people do. And prior to this season, was playing for good sides and stuff. So, uh, Renan Lodi. Mm. I thought I'd throw in Renan Lodi. the only trained player for you. Yeah, I think he's a wing back and not a full back. He's never fully he's never fully fit into a Simeone team. 
I think this season, the good games he's had for Forrest of all come as a wing-back. I think he's a bit suspect defensively. He's also very small. He's only 5'8". So he'd be a no for me. I don't really like Renan Lodi. I don't find him aggressive as a defender, and I don't find no. him aggressive as a forward. Like As an attacking player, I, I think he's a bit of a passenger at times. To be he's a facilitator who doesn't facilitate nearly nearly enough. Um, yeah, no, he, he'd be a no for me. Struyek and Aitnuri are different types, but I, I do think they could both play that role. Yeah. And I, I think Aitnuri's frame lends itself to adding a bit of bulk as well. Like he's 5'11", 6 foot. So I think he could become quite a... He's already pretty strong. I think he could become um, fairly heft at left that, that left back, left wing back, a left centre back role. Um, brilliant at carrying the ball out of the back line. So I don't think he'd have any concerns there. And the defensive lapses he has there, some of them are, are just a coaching thing. Like he was coached to not rotate. And when the player moves from his zone to the next to stay where he is, now... Max Kilman was coached a different way. So a lot of that blame falls on Max Kilman as well. When when Lodi shifts somebody inside, Kilman doesn't come to meet them and then that player finds himself in space. But um yeah, sorry, when Aitnuri brings someone in field. I Aitnuri or Streak are the two I'd take from, from that right. without question. You've got one name left. Um, okay. This is the final overseas one and would be more of a Either immediate or very, very soon, like let's say within the year, you would probably be looking at this player being a, a first team in terms of price tag. So it's up to you whether you would take the plunge on that. But is already playing left side in a back three. Did play left back earlier in the season before a managerial change and therefore a systemic change. And that is Piero Incapier. Yeah, I would take Piero Incapier. I, I would. I think he's very, very good. I think he's got huge upside, um, really good age, 21, where... You can develop him into basically whatever type of defender you want. I think he fits that role really well. And um, yeah, I wouldn't even need to think twice about it. He, he he is he's on my very short list of players I want for this role. I I have a a kind of definitive four man list that I want. And if it's not one of them, I'm going to be annoyed. Now there's a few that I'll accept. But there's a four-man shortlist that I think are the perfect profile for that role. And Incapier's on it. Incapier's on it, yeah. Is Gvardiol. And it's, it, uh, Gvardiol is separate because the price is, is prohibitive. prohibitive for us. Um, the four-man list that I have, and I have no order of preference on these, I think all of these are really, really good fits. So Incapier is one. Uh, Castello Lacaba of Leon is another because I started off thinking like looking back the last few years who's the ideal player for this role and the answer was Samuel Umtiti left back left centre back left side of a three perfect at them all strong good on the ball take away the injuries find me that player and this kid is, I, I think he's um, 2.0. And if he can avoid the injury issues, I think he's going to be an absolute monster for France and whatever club plucks him from, from Lyon. So he's one. Um, Levi Colwell is the next one because I just think he's everything you'd want in that role. He's got the size, the ball-playing ability, 
the pace, the flexibility to play the role. He, he played a lot of left back for Huddersfield. He's played centre back for Brighton. He fits in a two or a three. So he's the other. Hincapié is the third. And the last one is Giancarlo Inacio of Sporting, um, who offers a bit of flexibility as well. He's a left footer who's played right side of a back three, which you don't see very often because of the passing angles that he can create. So I think he'd fit perfectly in that left-sided role. So, so they're one, the four. One, one question, especially about those four, but in general, some of the others that we've discussed as well. Definitely more defensive mind and definitely need something which is mm. you know aggressive aerially and all the rest of what you said. But Andy Robertson's still got a very important part. And even Klopp made reference to this after the Forest match whereby he still has to pick those moments where he can get forward really, really rapidly, overlap, keep the width, keep the space, and be able to deliver. Now, against Forrest, maybe it was a little bit excessive because of the, the amount of possession Liverpool had first half especially, but he put over four crosses there. And it's still averaging two crosses per game, let's say, across um, the last three matches, let's say, where we've been... And, and those are accurate crosses, by the way, not attempted crosses, four, five, six, seven, two or three accurate crosses per game good deliveries, which are chance creation uh, for, for the front three and anyone coming from behind in the midfield line if we you know, have movement and that sort of thing in, in the coming seasons ahead. Um, still got to be able to deliver from that area. And do you really think, can Capri as well, actually, because he's not like you know a bombing on kind of left back when he's playing that side, no. someone who's going to whip in the balls and that. Is that still something some of those can deliver? They can. They can deliver quality ball. Inacio especially will deliver outstanding ball. Um, you know, I, I think the other name I had on the list, but I ruled out because I don't think Inter will sell him would, would be Bastoni. Uh, and again, he's more their their ilk than say an eight Nuri type. But you see, <clears throat> the thing I look at, Carol, is who's been playing left wing in the last three games? Diogo Jota, who doesn't hold the width, who doesn't provide anything in terms of crosses or chance creation from the left side he always funnels everything centrally but our left winger is Luis Diaz and I think if Diaz is left wing there's far less emphasis on the left back to need to get high and up and outside him and we've seen since Diaz arrived him and Robertson they don't link all that well because the positions Diaz takes up they're the positions Robertson wants to run into difference between Diaz and Sadio is Diaz wants to stay a bit wider and then work his way in, where Sadio wants to be moving from wide to central before he gets the ball. Diaz wants to pick it up wide and isolate defenders. So I don't think with Luis Diaz there, it's as needed for Andy Robertson to be getting as high. So I think you're looking for someone that can deliver real quality from a bit further out. And I think Inacio and Hincapié in particular can do that at a very high level. Fair enough. Here we go. Right, let's move to the midfield then. So, as we know, Liverpool have uh, a considerable amount of work to do in the midfield this summer. So, as you put it, does Jürgen, sorry, is Jürgen right to keep it the same as it has been or is he just scared of tinkering too many pieces at once? Who do you think fits best for the remaining games and whatever else? Oh, sorry, yeah. Who, who do you think fits best for the remaining games? So he's stuck with the same midfield now for four games in a row. 
which is unusual for Jurgen at the best of times. The team has won the last two games, and I think the fact that they beat Leeds 6-1 is what kind of prompted them to keep the same midfield. Now, Curtis had an excellent game against Leeds, did not play well against Forrest. Henderson was poor against Leeds, was poor again against Forrest. What do you think he looks to do for the West Ham game? Because remember as well, Fabinho's one yellow card away from a suspension. And I think that is probably the reason he got taken off at the weekend. With West Ham in midweek, followed by what I think they will look at as a more important game against Spurs or a more difficult game against Spurs at the weekend. Do you think there's a possibility that he sits Fabinho for the West Ham game? And then looks to bring him back in for Spurs? I mean, <clears throat> I think this is suddenly a very, very difficult game for Liverpool. Like West Ham have won three of the last five in the league, still going well in Europe. They seem to have found a bit more of a, a rhythm in their play and a bit more success in their attacking part of the lineup. Mm. They will suddenly have confidence and a bit of a pressure release. They're now, what, six points clear of the relegation zone. They're at the top of that mini-league, which had been all battling away together. Their goal difference is really good as well. So, I mean, West Ham are probably like one win away from guaranteed safety by the points that takes anyone. And they have a game in hand on everybody around them. Yeah, everybody below them, yeah. Um, So, I I think that this is actually a really difficult game for Liverpool now. I wouldn't be surprised if he was actually taken off for this game, uh, more than Spurs. Um, Mm. Just because, you know, Spurs being at home... Yeah, it'll be a difficult match, but they're in disarray. I mean, I think West Ham are a, a more dangerous opponent for Liverpool right now than Tottenham are, and even more so because it's away from home. And I still cannot really feel super confident about Liverpool on the road, given you know even even the performance, the win over Leeds. There were elements to that game which are not repeatable every single week. A lot of the goals we spoke about came from like transition play and really, really awful, mm. awful defensive work. That's not something you can transplant from one game into the next. Just like, to be fair, the win over Forest, the goals that we actually scored coming off set plays and stuff, they're not necessarily repeatable translation from one game to the next. There's aspects of the game, maybe, and certainly the confidence and all that kind of stuff. But away games for Liverpool at the minute, I still think are a bad thing, basically. So I would think that Fabinho was more being taken off to protect him for West Ham than for Spurs. Yeah, I think that's a very fair point. Um, the Hammers they put in a, a good a good showing uh, against Bournemouth yesterday. Now, they were aided and abetted by some appalling defensive work by Bournemouth. But, you know, to win 4-0 away is still winning 4-0 away. You don't care how the goals come as long as they come. Uh, before that, obviously, they beat Ghent, um, came from behind to win 4-1. They got the draw with Arsenal, where they came from behind to win. They drew away with Ghent. They beat Fulham away, which was very, very fortunate, to be fair. But a win is a win. Prior to that, they got walloped by Newcastle. But, you know, that was... There was elements of fluke to that as well. Like, it just... It seemed like they got caught cold. And they were in the midst of a, you know, a a bit of a a heavy kind of run or the start of a heavy run. I agree with you. I I think West Ham are getting close to safety. Like I think Forest, I think sorry, Palace are pretty much safe now. Uh, I don't think they'll have any concerns. I think West Ham probably a win away. And the thing is, if you look at West Ham's 
remaining games. Palace away won't be easy. City away will be very tough. United home, very tough. Brentford away is tough. And then they finish with Leeds and Leicester, both of whom might need the three points to stay in the division. So for West Ham, I, I do think they want to get sort of safety boxed off as soon as possible. And if they could take four points from Liverpool and Palace, that'd be 38 points. That'll be enough. And then sole focus can go into the uh, the Conference League and they can maybe start resting a couple of players to have them fresh for the games against Alkmaar and then a potential final in that competition. So I do think West Ham will come into this game fired up and, and demanding a high performance of themselves. Uh, they did give us some issues at Anfield, largely when Thiago went off. And I think that was really the night where everyone realised there's something wrong with Fabinho. Because when Thiago went off, he looked like a corpse. And I remember vividly watching Declan Rice, who'd done little to nothing in the first hour of the game, just pick the ball up multiple times and slalom past Fabinho as if he wasn't there, as if he was just a garbage can or a bin or whatever you want to call it, wherever you're from, in your way. And Rice just moved around him as if it was just an inconvenience rather than a difficulty and carried on up the pitch with the ball. And Fab looked like he could do nothing about it. Couldn't even foul him. Tried to foul him once and nearly knocked the referee over because he was so late getting into the challenge. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I do think this is a tougher game because, look, Spurs, Spurs are just atrocious at the moment. That was an appalling defeat that comes off the back of losing to Bournemouth and they play United on Thursday. So they may be coming into that game off three defeats, potentially with another manager unsure of what the future holds with key players starting to question what's going to happen in the summer with, with Harry Kane and others. You might get Romero who's fed up with, with the constant losing and maybe wants to go back to Italy. So, I do think the the Spurs game probably lands more in our favour as a home game. So yeah, I mean, West Ham is probably the harder game. So so what do you go with then if it's the harder game? Because for me, Thiago has to come back in. He's the best midfielder at the club, and there's nobody performing at a level that suggests that they should be in over Thiago. Curtis has been decent. He had one really good game, a couple of quite good games and a poorish game. Fabinho's been okay across the four. Henderson's been flat out poor across the floor, the four. So for me, Thiago has to come back in. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. 
These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. I mean, <clears throat> I've been a little bit surprised that Thiago's not come back in anyway at some point. Um, I, I was away, obviously, and didn't see the not the first game in, in its entirety. So I will leave the assessments of performance level to you on that one. But with this being only a few days later, I do think that there will be at least one change in midfield and quite possibly two. I wouldn't be surprised if this was the match where we saw you know, a few switches, maybe one in attack, maybe one or two in midfield as well. Um, I mean, for the for the three that's been in place, the Henderson and Jones ahead of Fabinho, and then obviously as as Klopp has been describing it, Fabinho alongside Trent, and then the other two as tens in possession. Not entirely sure I'm in agreement with that, but okay. Um, we'll just say that they're just numbers he's calling them. That's fine. Um, it's it's really about whether that is the three for the rest of the season. When you think those are the the best options. I think Thiago has to be in whoever you play or whatever system mm. you play. But I also do acknowledge the fact, and this is similar to what we were saying about Diogo Jota starting against Forrest before the match. If players are doing, let's not say well, because he didn't do well, and some of the midfielders weren't doing well. If they are contributing in some way to the win overall, does it do more damage to change things? Does it build a little bit of confidence to keep things the same just because that was what was there when we won? I think there's only so far that that can go, especially when it is, let's say, quite um, openly and apparently costing goals at the other end. So there should be a change at the very least. But I also struggle to see that over a run of what will, including these last three games, be what 12 for the season, that Fabinho, Fabinho Thiago does not play a major part in that. I just mm. I don't see that with Liverpool having to win, actually win, not just not lose games anymore. We have to make up ground. You can't leave out someone of that unbelievable quality for that length of time. So I do expect that there will be a change. I wouldn't be surprised if it's Curtis Jones who comes out because he's youngest and easiest to do so every single time. It'd be a shame, I think, because I think he's performed well enough to warrant being involved more. Yeah. But also probably worth noting that even if he is involved more, I think he is, or even if he does come out of the, let's say, first choice three, I think he's now ahead of at least three others for the remainder of the season. I think it's quite clear, let's say, people like Oxley chamberlain and Cater are not necessarily going to get back in now for more mm. than a game, a start, a random appearance, whatever it is. I think Jones has finally put himself back ahead of them. Um, James Milner is just going to carry on doing I think what we've seen all the time, there might be another one start, but basically he's going to be off the bench a lot. And then it's really then, is it Jones or is it Elliot as your fourth, let's say, because Henderson's still going to be there. Fabinho's still going to be there. So I think at the minute Jones is ahead of Elliot. I think he deserves to be ahead of Elliot. I also don't think that he's going to stay ahead of Henderson, let's say, for the rest of the season. No, probably not, because, you know, Jürgen just doesn't seem to realise what a catastrophe that's been all season um i don't know what it is that he thinks he's getting from henderson at the moment but it's nothing on the ball and it's nothing off the ball and he is a major defensive deficiency and i had one idiot tell me that the reason henderson is in the team is because he understands when someone needs to move out onto the right wing 
when Trent and Mo move central. As if as if any small child couldn't follow that instruction. If they're both central, you provide the width. That's not difficult. And he doesn't do it anyway. Because he seems to insist on wanting to play as a second centre forward. So I don't know what Jurgen thinks he's getting. I think the midfield three to the rest of the season, season should be Curtis, Fabinho and Thiago. And I think when we move into next season, we should have three new starters in, in place, whether they're immediately starting or not. But there should be three players brought in with the intention that they're going to be the starters within a couple of months. And those are the three that I'd be looking at as the next three up. Fabinho, uh, Thiago, Fabinho and Jones in that order. And then Henderson and Besetic at opposite ends of the scale. One, because he might have a tantrum. And the other one, because you need to bring him along slowly. Um, like I don't think the midfield is hard to pick. I really don't. And I think this shape lends itself really well to Curtis Jones playing on the right. Yeah. And getting involved with Thiago, or sorry, with Mo and with Trent. I think he fits really well into that role. And he can deliver quality crossing from the right as well. I think if you put Jones in that role and able to run into the box, as Henderson's done a few times, he probably scores three before the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah, three with a, with a bunch of assists. Very, very quickly. Where in this re-fashioned on-the-ball lineup do you see Bastic? Um... Because earlier on, when we had the left side of one dropping in alongside Thiago, uh, alongside Fabinho or the six, and the right one was pushing forward more, I thought that was very easy. He's the left sided eight. Yes, yeah, he was. He's a, a really good fit in that left sided yeah. one. Good box to box, good ball winning, has the athletic ability, decent on the ball, able to carry it forward a bit as well. So I think that that was perfectly him. I don't necessarily think any of them are perfectly him as they are right now. No, neither do I. But it's only three matches. It is only three matches. And I'll be honest, Carl, I don't like this shape. (laughs) I don't. I don't like it at all. I don't like the way we line up in it. I I think we've been horrible in open play in the last two games. Until we were 4-0 up against Leeds, we just looked so, so stodgy in, in possession. We created one chance, one real chance from open play against Forrest. And it was Ibu Kanate stepping forward and clipping a long ball to Jota. And that was it. It's the only good open play chance we had in the game. We don't create anything from this shape. We have lots of the ball and there's lots of lads that don't know what to do with it when they get it. Now, will it look different with Diaz in, with Thiago in, with Darwin maybe through the middle? I mean, you could, in this shape, I wouldn't at all be against the idea of Cody Gakbo in that right-sided eight role where Henderson's been wasting so much of the ball. Thiago on the left, him on the right, playing as kind of dual tens, as Klopp calls them, behind the front three. I'd like to see Cody get, you know, at least an opportunity in that role. Um, and maybe it'll look different when you do that, but I, I don't think it really benefits us all that much other than we're able to have a lot more of the ball. But it's like, this is just, it's not, this is not Jurgen Klopp football. This is the opposite of what Jurgen Klopp's game is. And I so I I don't necessarily know 
if this is what we're going to do next season or if this is just a let's just try this till the end of the season because everything else has failed for us yeah and like this is like what our fourth change around this season yeah exactly one to the flat four and all it'll take is us losing 3-1 in a game and Klopp will throw it out yeah and go back to 4-3-3 in this shape I don't actually think there is a spot for Basetic and I know people will say oh you obviously just take the Fabinho role he doesn't really suit that role positionally he's not great he makes a lot of defensive mistakes we we get like he played well Without doubt, he played well. And there was a couple of games where he was excellent. There were also a couple of games where he was poor. And it got overlooked because he was young. And if he'd been 23 instead of 18, he would have rightly been criticised for them. So I think in the short term, in this shape, I don't know that there is a role for him. The the obvious role for him might actually be Ibu's role. But you'd have to bulk him up quite a bit. And I don't want to do that either. As you say, it could all change again before the end of the season. And uh, even in the attacking line, I could argue that players have not necessarily been brought in of late to fit this kind of shape. So whether or not that does end up being the long-term one, we will wait and see. Like I do really like the idea of a back four that becomes a back three in possession and Trent steps forward and the left-back becomes a centre-back. I do really like that idea. I just don't like it in this shape, and this iteration. And I don't think we have the players to do it and make it successful um, in this way or the other potential way, which would be to flip what our number eights do and put the more attacking one on the left and the more defensive one on the right, and then have that left-sided eight and Trent getting forward and providing, you know, width and, and attacking thrust behind the front three. Um, but again, we don't currently have the players to make that work. So a lot will depend on what we do in the summer. But yeah, if, if we get beaten comfortably by any of our upcoming opponents, Jürgen will just chuck this out and he'll go to something else because that's what he's done all season. So I wouldn't necessarily be all that certain that this is the way things are going to be for the long term. Um Right, last thing before we go. We're at an hour 10, which for us is is still quite good. David Ornstein reported today, and it's since been confirmed, that Ainsley, Maitland-Niles and Arsenal have come to a mutual agreement to not extend his contract beyond this season. Arsenal had an option to extend it for another year. Uh, After talking to Maitland-Niles and his agent, they've decided not to do that. I think he requested that they not do it. So there will be a parting of ways there. I put it out on Twitter today, and I know you've said the same on one of these podcasts, that Maitland-Niles would make sense. And I think on a free, 25 years of age, homegrown, a natural fit in terms of a replacement for Trent, a right back who can also play in midfield. Doesn't have Trent's passing ability, nobody does, but he's good on the ball, he's solid defensively, can fill in a number of other positions as well. I don't see any possible downside to a deal like that. Worst case scenario, you sell him in two years, you get 10 to 15 million for him, and you've made a profit. But I did get quite a few people uh, asking me if I was taking drugs, 
after I tweeted that. And I just, I, my, I can only assume people just don't watch him play because I think he's a good player who would be the ideal Milner replacement because he can do everything Milner can do and also run quite quickly and do a bit more on the ball. Uh, yeah, I, I like Ainsley Mittenars very much. I don't really know what the issue is from some areas or what they've said to you or whatever, but I, I think that that's probably partly down to him not being in the team at Arsenal, being loaned out, that kind of stuff. Um, to be honest, I'm fed up going over this. It, just because someone doesn't fit somewhere doesn't make them not a very good signing for somewhere else. And not everybody that Liverpool signed this year or any other year has to be a starting player. So if we were ready to exactly. go for the title, am I going to say Maitland-Nars is the missing piece of the puzzle? No, obviously not. But we need a number of upgrades. And this is a guy who came through as a central midfielder, a box-to-box, mm. powerful, really technically good, obviously around those age levels and when he was flying on confidence and all the rest of it. Central midfielder who then got pushed out to the wing and since played wing-back and since played full-back, he can play everywhere you want. Across uh, 3-1-4-2, if you want to call it that, or 3 Two, whatever system you want to call Liverpool playing at the minute, or the four-three-three, or a four-four-two, or a diamond. You put him on the side of a midfield diamond, he will do everything you want to in that role. As a wing back, if you want to change late in a match, he gives you an outlet. He gives you defensive awareness. He gives you willingness to track back, and we'll do that from centre mid. And we'll do, like you say, someone who can slot from right back to a deep central midfield role and be a distributor rather than a playmaker. Yeah, that's exactly it. He can do whatever you ask him to do at a decent level. And we need a lot this summer. Like, we do need a lot. We need a backup right back. We need a, a, a new left back. We need at least one centre back. We're probably going to need a backup goalkeeper. We need three in midfield. And you could make an argument that with Bobby going, we need one in attack as well. We don't have the money to do all of that if they're all going to be the best player available. But Ainsley Maitland-Niles on a free is a really smart signing to fill one of those spots. And he gives you extra cover in midfield as well. Like, I, I genuinely don't understand why anyone would push back on signing a player like him. But it's largely the same people who pushed back on the, the idea that if Forrest went down, Morgan Gibbs White could make sense for us, especially in this current iteration. Put him where Henderson's been wasting everybody's time, and he he'd do really well. He got a goal and an assist against us at the weekend, and was Forrest's best player, and caused us a bunch of trouble just to prove how silly they all were. Because none of them watch him. Because people don't watch bad teams, so they don't watch Southampton. They don't realise that Maitland Niles has actually had a decent season for them when he's played. They don't watch Gibbs White and understand that he's been by far Forrest's best player. They don't watch these bad teams. They're the same people that had big old temper tantrums when we signed Andy Robertson and said it was just FSG being cheap again and letting Klopp down. And now, dare you suggest Andy Robertson needs to be replaced, they have fucking tantrums as well. So, you know, we won't put too much into what they've got to say. Anyway, Carl, that'll do. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow to do the West Ham pod. Is there anything you want to touch on before we go? No, I think we've covered a lot of ground today and no doubt we will have to cover a load of different ground after we lose to West Ham 17. More than likely. More than likely. And then we can actually talk about, you know, what will be the next formation that Jurgen will try. Uh, Radio, talk to you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. 
We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.